This is Global News Watch. Former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for the Middle East and Paramilitary Operations Officer for the CIA and current National Security and Defense Analyst for ABC News, Mick Mulroy, joins the Media Mavens podcast for a monthly review of global events and their impact in our lives. And here is the host of Global News Watch, the CEO of Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller and Marjorie DeHay with Mick Mulroy, National Security Defense Analyst for ABC News and former paramilitary operations for the CIA. Mick, welcome back to the show. Great to be with you, ladies. It's so good to have you back on. I love that every time we talk to you, it's something going on in the world. We get to educate everybody of what's up. We chatted with you a few weeks ago, I think, or a month, last month on Global News Watch, right as they were saying it's eminent that Russia's going to invade the Ukraine, but we weren't sure. We're four weeks out and there's been so much destruction of human lives and humanitarian efforts over there. So you kind of want to get a really deep dive from you of what's going on, because I know yesterday Putin passed a law. He took away their freedom of speech. Two big media stations walked out, unless you're reporting, whether it's any medium from podcast, radio, TV, print, there is a stiff 15-year in-jail penalty. He just laid that out yesterday to start controlling the media. And I saw a thing on 2020 that these little villages, people were talking and they were literally saying, we're not invading Ukraine. We would never do that. I mean, he is controlling the media like crazy more than ever right now. So I think we need to get some ground truth of what's really going on and the state of the situation over there. So I'm happy to have you want to give us an update on all of this. Yeah, absolutely. So Sarah, I think since the last time we talked, obviously the invasion started, unfortunately, and it looks like Russia used diplomacy as a ruse essentially to allow himself to build up the force necessary to conduct this the entire time, always intending to do it. So what has been surprising to most military analysts is that the Ukrainians are able to put up much more of a resistance than they were expected to be able to do. And quite frankly, the Russian military has proved to be far less uh, capable and competent than many had expected. So the combination has essentially bogged down Russian forces several times and reduced their ability to take the areas that they thought they would have already done by now. So unfortunately, and we've seen this in Syria and Chechnya, that when Russia has a hard time with their military uh, capabilities being not up to par, they turn toward direct attacks on civilians. So we've seen, for example, yesterday in a town called Kharkiv, the city, 13 of the 16 strikes were against civilian targets, residential civilian targets. So when they can't do what they would like to do with the military, they start using these somewhat, not somewhat, actually, these, these actions are definitely war crimes and they need to be held accountable. So that's that's where we are right now. We've seen things like a direct attack on nuclear sites, which is illogical by any by anybody's position. And we've seen the international community come together and really support in so many different ways that nobody expects. But what we can expect is Russia will continue to use overwhelming force, direct attacks against civilians to try to get Ukrainians to break their will. What what I find, and this is what I love, I mean, about the president of Ukraine is, you know, he was very clear. And I I mean, I was kind of laughing at his comment when he was like, I don't need transport. I need ammo. I mean, a few countries have offered get him out, get him to safety with his family. But this man, like from a military standpoint, 
is going to live or die fighting for the freedom for his country, his family, and the people there. And I just, he's becoming this global hero for staying and fighting and not picking up and running away from this. And I don't want to compare this to what we chatted about months ago or back August on the Taliban when they did flee. I mean, this is a guy who is sticking it out and fighting to the end. And I just feel like that's true heroism. That's true leadership. And I know from a military standpoint, we all see a bunch of fake news and all the spin and hype out there. But I think to the core, this is truly a leader who deserves to be in that position. And half the country said they didn't vote for him, but now they are 100% behind him. He's fighting on the front lines with the troops. And I just love that he's getting recognized globally for that work and heroism. I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking. He said goodbye to his family, but he also said he's on Putin's hit list. Is there any truth to that? On the oh, kill list? He's on the kill list, is what he said. That is absolutely accurate. There's been a list of individuals that uh, Spetsnaz, the Russian Special Forces, is likely there trying to target, and President Zelensky is going to be on the top of that. I totally agree. He has risen to the challenge. He has proved to be a true hero, quite frankly, an example to the rest of this country. We're all fighting. I mean, they are, they are tenacious and they're tough. I mean, they're pit bull tough. I mean, those folks are fighting more than anybody thought they would be able to. And it's not just the military. It's accountants. It's grandmothers. It's tennis pros flying back from overseas to fight. So it really, truly is inspirational. As somebody who's been in many, many fights, that factor, when I mean fights, I mean conflicts, I don't mean like street fights, but in actual conflict, those kind of fights, I've seen it. I know what it's like to do that. But quite frankly, I don't know what it's like to be on the side that has much less force than the other side. I've always been on the side, you know, the United States, where we have overwhelming force. That's one kind of courage. It's another kind of courage to fight an overwhelming enemy and stand up to them knowing that the chances of your being successful are very slim. But that's what the Ukrainians have done, led by President Zelensky. And I totally agree. He has, he has proven to be an example for the world to get by. And one of the things that we also talk about is the, the world coming together and supporting the Ukrainian government. They even like Switzerland is, which Switzerland <laughs> notoriously <laughs> neutral. What do you think would need to happen to tip the scales towards Ukrainian coming out as victors in this conflict? So Mags, militarily, that's going to be very difficult. As much as military analysts thought that this would be over, quite frankly, soon, and it's not, which is awesome, they're still facing overwhelming odds. This is a Herculean-type situation. However, from my perspective, I don't really see how Russia can, you know, quote-unquote, win this. because. Even if they take over cities, which is still going to be very difficult, the Ukrainians are never going to stop fighting. So even after the invasion phase, if you will, the insurgency phase is going to be hellacious, just to put it mildly. They're going to fight forever. So it's not going to be years. It's going to be decades. And eventually, they could bleed President Putin's army out in Ukraine because the international community has already proven that they're going to support him to the end. I mean, I read an article today where a social media movement People purchasing um, Airbnbs for people to yeah. be able to stay in that had to flee. They're up to 61,000 rentals already. Just random people renting places so the Ukrainian displaced refugee family can. That's just one example. This isn't going to go away. The international community is, is isolating Putin's Russia. They are doing it diplomatically, they're doing it economically. And the support that this Ukrainian army and, quite frankly, this overall resistance movement is just going to continue. 
So I don't see what he expects to come out of this. Everything that he's done so far has caused everything that he was concerned about to increase. So like you said, Switzerland is now no longer neutral, right? Sweden and Finland, who are not in NATO, are now talking about being in NATO. We've sent thousands, we're probably sending thousands more NATO troops out to Eastern Europe, which is what he was concerned of, but he gave us no choice. It's his aggression, it's his unlawful and unprovoked attack on a sovereign country that's created all the security concerns that he claimed to be concerned about, and it is going to impact very severely on the Russian people who should demand a change of leadership and get Putin Well, I know they said Germany, you know, they're not part of NATO, but Germany sent a bunch of guns and arms over. Just, I mean, everybody's rallying against them. I want to pivot a little bit on this because I feel like this is going to be an ongoing. It's it's going to be ongoing, like you said. They're going to keep fighting. I don't see the stop anytime soon. I think the more we lay down sanctions, the more we cut off Russia, the more crazy he's getting and, and the more he's trying to do. I know he hit the nuclear power plant. It was the largest power plant in Europe. He hit one of the buildings near it. And I have a hard time believing these guys did not know that was a nuclear power plant, given what happened in Chernobyl. Do you think that was more strategic, like the mental strategy to blow up the building 150 yards away, administrative, to make a um, statement? Or do you think he is getting that digitally close to wreaking more havoc on human life than what he's leading on? So that it was very perplexing why the Russians would have attacked both Chernobyl, which is the old site 1986 was a meltdown of the nuclear power plant. Uh, that was sealed up to try to contain that radioactive waste. And there's varying reports. Some said some leaked. I don't know. But there's a current one, which I believe is the largest in Europe, which they attacked. I don't think there was a breach of the containment, but it made no sense. It's, but it wasn't, it wasn't Russia just trying to like, get buildings necessarily around it. If you attack a nuclear site, the chances of an errant artillery round Hitting a reactor are very high. It was very reckless. I mean, it's on top of everything else they're doing, right? So they're deliberately talking, targeting civilians with thermobaric weapons. So you can't give them any credit, actually. But you'd think you would just call the nuclear sites off, off limits. It's just a, a scientific team and the maintenance folks that are out there taking care of it and just mark it off the map. But even that was not on the map, was not marked off the map. Well, it was a reckless assault. Yeah. Well, I know that um, the crew management crew is still there. Russia, the troops took right. over the whole area. It was eight reactors there out of six. Four of them were shut down for maintenance and cleaning. There was only two left. And the way they are with the iron and with the cement walls around them, you would have to really do like an air to miss a gun. Just firing off machine guns isn't going to breach it. And the alarms didn't go off. And there's like three layers of alarms because they're fairly new nuclear plants, the way the electricity and the way the engineering is. There was no danger on this attack, but unless you're an engineer and you knew what was going on, it was hard for the public and the media and the people there to understand that there was no danger. And I feel like you have to know that's a nuclear power plant. I feel like that was a calculated move enough to scare people to get in there. And but they could, you know, they could easily tell the maintenance guys to shut it down on the cooling system and they could shut it down and cut off all power. But I, I just don't know if that was a very diabolical strategic ploy with Putin because it came right after the airlines pulled all the leases. So they have no planes flying and there's 11 time zones there's no planes flying you have to either take a train or a bus but airbus boeing and rolls pulled all the leases immediately so if there is a maintenance service they can't be fixed they've got to ground all the planes now 
So I just felt like the timing seemed like it was more of a strategic thing than just not paying attention to knowing what was in front of you. What these type of engagements can be, but I would have just left it off the map. I don't know why it was necessary. They could have just moved on. So that's just one more thing for to consider. When it comes to hopefully one day when people are held accountable for their actions and what they did during this time, from President Putin on down, the officer in the field who, who orders uh, his, his forces to attack residential areas. Uh, all of these are war crimes. The International Criminal Courts has already started an investigation. They need to hold every one of these people responsible for what they're doing. I know the banking system is now being effective and SWIFT cut off all the banking. A ruble's worth less than a penny or two cents over there. I, and I agree with what you said earlier. This is really hurting the people of Russia. But my question, and we talked about this prior, was, again, I'm going to mess up the name here. Oligonders? Olig- what do you call them? Marjorie, don't laugh. The oligarchs. There you oligarchs. go. Uh, the oligarchs. And I saw this whole thing on the oligarchs to where they're very 30% of Russia's owned by the wealthiest people in the world. They're all in the oligarch circle for Putin and they're seizing their ships, their money and putting sanctions on them individually, hoping that they will go back to Putin and say, Hey, our assets are being frozen. We're being screwed with now. You got to stop. And, and we talked about this. My opinion on this is very misinformed just for the record, because just from reading the press and watching the news, I feel like we're attacking people of wealth and punishing them, taking step away from them, which is going to in return, they're going to lay off more of their employees and people just to try to affect Putin. It's like they're going after his friends and the buddies who fund him to help shut him down. And I just don't feel like that's the smartest thing to do politically. You're just attacking individuals now based on their net worth. And I know that's probably taken out of content, Nick, but I want to talk to you about your opinion on why we're targeting certain people just because they have money and they're close to Putin's circle at the Kremlin. Sure, Sarah. Hopefully I can change your mind because there's an expression in Russia or about Russia that there's no millionaires there, there's only billionaires. And what happens is people that are close to President Putin his official salary is only 140000 a year, get rich based on the cronyism that he provides them. And they're known as Putin's balls. So a lot of their billions are actually hits that he's taken from the Russian people. So if you want to, you want to worry about who gets hurt the worst, the Russian people are essentially funding a lot of these billionaires. Certainly, uh, and that's where Putin keeps his billions uh, because he doesn't want it um, targeted. So in order to target Putin, you have to target his oligarch friends. Most of these people are not wealthy because they, they came up with the next Apple iPhone. They did not. They're, it's usually looted from the Russian people and the exploitation of their energy resources. So that's who they are. If the idea is, one, you have to seize their wealth to seize Putin's wealth. So that's one reason. And two, they like their luxury yachts that sail around in the Mediterranean. And if they're targeted, then, you know, perhaps they could take a yacht and help pay for the people's, the millions of people who fled Ukraine right now, right? So it's not like it just goes nowhere. There's a potential that they could auction these things off and start supporting poor people who had to walk, you know, all night and all day uh, to get to Poland. Yeah. So that's one reason why they're going after these oligarchs. Another group that they're going after is basically when, when Putin was uh, Colonel Putin, and the KGB, he took a lot of his friends when he shot up his political ranks. They're now around him as a senior policy advisors. He's also put a lot of them in place as what's called the SDR, which is like the CIA of the 
Russia, the FSB, which is kind of like the FBI, you know, a demanded version of the FBI, and the GRU, which is the military intelligence. They run all those. So they want to target these individuals because that's what keeps President Putin as President Putin. So if you got to, if you want to get to him, and obviously we do, you have to go around these people who, once again, they're not rich because they invented the next, uh, you know, electric car. They're rich because of their association with Putin. And a lot, a lot of them just have his money, uh, essentially. They're Putin's wallets. And so that is why people or governments are targeting those individuals. They want to get him out of power. They want to take the people and the pillars of power away from him so that hopefully Russia can have the leader that they deserve. And I know a few of these billionaires have even put a price on Putin's head. So you see that like they're they're more concerned about their money than, I guess, loyalty to Putin. So I think it's been a very interesting dynamic. But at the end of the day, when they start freezing assets and freezing banks, they're probably not going to be affected. It's going to be, again, back to the people. So I know a lot of humanitarian aid has come to the Ukraine and, you know, but there's also this concern of probably a lot of the Russian actually people don't support their government. I used to live in Poland. And when you walked around, you know, there was like, we don't really support the government. This is just what we're used to. And Putin's come up with a lot of interesting theories, but maybe you can expand on one of his theories where he's like, he's trying to get rid of the Nazis in Ukraine. Where did that come from? So apparently it plays pretty well to the Russian people, obviously from World War II, the Nazis, we were uh, actually aligned with uh, Russia when it came to beating that mess. So the whole Nazi term does resonate with them, but obviously here it's illogical. So we already talked about that President Zelensky, he's Jewish. Mm -hmm. So it's it's counter-central, counter-logical, it's nonsensical. I don't know how one could come up with that the Ukrainians or somehow neo-Nazis, but it's ridiculous. So, but that's why he's doing it. He doesn't, he's lost the world. He's just trying to play to his own internal audience, who I also think knows this is ridiculous. And the world should just ignore those, kind of, well, not ignore, they should call them out. The other thing is the Russians attacked one of the Holocaust sites in Ukraine. So, you know, you're fighting the Nazis, yet the president of the country, who we all know is, is doing a heroic job, is in fact Jewish, and you attack the one in the most well-known Holocaust site in Ukraine. So they're saying that he, like he, a few days ago, he on one of those summits at the Kremlin, he publicly humiliated one of his top security advisors, and they're saying he has just become so unhinged in the past two weeks. So they're questioning his mental stability. Is it ego-driven? I mean, it's so there's such a mess over there. Do you think there's any light at the end of this tunnel? Or I mean, because Putin's one of the wealthiest men he had, there's no way to get to him military wise. I mean, what is the plan to change the future of Russia and obviously Ukraine? Or is it just exhaust them and tire them down? So I think it's it is exhaust them and tire them down through the isolation of them economically, diplomatically and in military support. But most and I'm not a uh, expert on President Putin, but the ones that I know and I listen to that are, have all mentioned that he seems to have changed in the sense that he used to be very unemotional and strategic. And now he is much more emotional. And like you said, lashes out. He has these kind of ridiculous events where he's like 45 feet down a table and his staff's on the other end of the table. I mean, I don't know what he's trying to present that way. 
But, you know, for me, it looks like he's, he's very insecure about his own safety. I mean, if you have your National Security Council that you want like near you, that's an indicator. And he's just, he's just changed according to all the experts and been following him for decades. Remember, he's been in, he's been in significant positions for over 20 years. He's like actually been in power for over 20 years. And he goes back way before that you know, as, as a mayor and obviously as a officer. So uh, what are we going to do long term? What I'm most concerned about is if he goes full barbarism, if you will, and starts killing tens of thousands of civilians, when is the world going to say is enough, enough, is enough? And that's, you know, it's easy to say, but that would mean that the only other entity on Earth that could stop them, U.S. and NATO, would have to be engaged. So I don't know what we're going to do with that, but it's going to be more and more difficult if he continues this, basically, an assault against civilian population and commits these war crimes. So long term, he needs to be isolated. Unfortunately, the Russian people will be isolated with him, but it really is going to have to be an organic movement to change the leadership in Russia for this to be over. And I think that's what ultimately the world is going to push for. Well, I know the European Union said they're planning on one of the strongest and harshest packages at the summit on Thursday. And, you know, besides the nuclear power attack and just the tirade, they're saying this isn't the greatest violation of international laws, the biggest violation ever of human coexistence is what they're saying. And they're now starting to compare him to is this another Hitler type of era we're facing over there? Because like you said, the only way to intercept this and shut it down is for the U.S. and NATO countries to start moving in. And, you know, my question is, and, and is China supporting Russia still as an ally? Or have they taken sides and backed off? Or where do we stand with that right now? So it looks like China, although there was that meeting right before the invasion between President Xi and President Putin, which was announced they were going to buy a fuel that the Russia sells that uh, they wouldn't be selling to Europe because of these sanctions. But China abstained from, from voting. They have not supported the invasion. Uh, in fact, they, they still haven't recognized Crimea which was, uh, you know, illegally annexed back in 2014. So China understands that it is much more of a player on the world economic stage. They have a very integrated economy. It's diverse. And they need that to continue. So they don't want to be attached to Russia. And I think that's one of the things that our State Department and, quite frankly, everybody else's foreign ministry should focus on is pulling China further and further away from Russia. So that is key to get them away from, from Russia to further isolate Russia in the diplomatic sphere. And eventually, perhaps, if they can get fuel from another source, China reducing its purchasing of fuel from Russia to thereby just kind of starve them off. China is, a bit, to your point of your question, it's a very good one. China is very important to focus on to, to help push back against this Russian campaign. So what's interesting, oh, sorry, Marge, just really a quick point. I think, Marge, you brought this up earlier. Mick talked about on the Airbnb that people were just donating. I know, I think, and I, Mick, I've been sending you some of this stuff over the past few weeks. Over $50 million in crypto have been pushed over to help support humanitarian aids. And people are saying, some of these bigger companies, FXA is saying every crypto account holder is getting $25 automatically. I mean, we're talking about global. There is a small percentage of crypto companies come in tokens that have donated to the people in Ukraine for humanitarian efforts. So just kind of going back to you guys have Airbnb, 
you know, just people are donating, but the crypto talk about innovation and technology, you know, which I want to lead into after Marjorie's next question on sanctions financially, the world on crypto, which is going from China to the US all over the place globally is rallying on a crypto currency side to get money and help over there. Absolutely. It's inspirational, quite frankly. The amount of money raised, like you said, through cryptocurrency, donations. They've even created a international legion, which I would not recommend any of my former colleagues joining, not because it's not an important cause. It's just I'm concerned that it could be it could be used to pull the United States in. But it is to, even that is inspirational. I've heard tens of thousands of people have already signed up to fight over there. And I understand why they're doing it, but it is inspirational to see the level of international pushback on behalf of Ukraine uh, against Russia. It, this is something that Russia should take umbrage of. They are going. They already are an international pariah, period. Uh, and they're, it's only going to get worse the longer they maintain this, again, this unlawful uh, attack on Ukraine. I know you're very uh, politically neutral, but one one thing that has seemed to come up a lot is Trump's relationship with Putin, the personal relationship, some of the things that Trump has recently said. Do you have any thoughts on that as we kind of head into 2024 elections? And what do you think of Trump's relationship with Russia? So you're right. I am politically neutral. I'm nonpartisan and apolitical. And I would say this. I don't know the relationship enough to really comment on it. But I would say, you know, when anybody says prior to this that they respected Vladimir Putin or that he was some kind of genius, I don't think they would say that now. I really don't. Whoever it is, whether it's a politician or just an individual, he's proven to be uh, quite frankly diabolical. He's, and this was the case when he attacked civilians in Syria, right? Even assisted in the use of chemical weapons, if you recall, when he killed all those children that led to the strike we did when I was in the Pentagon and and uh, President Trump is in, in the White House. But that, I think people see President Putin for what he is. He is something from a bygone era. Thinks that force is against civilians is acceptable. And it's not. It's absolutely not. And whatever he thought he was going to get from this, the international community makes sure he gets the opposite. Are there any other, Mick, I know we got to wrap soon because I know you're on the road. Are there going to be any more sanctions imposed? Or where do we stand with that? So I think we've imposed quite a bit, we being uh, the international community, especially the United States. I do think the next discussion is going to be specifically sanctions on air and gas. That's because it does have a significant effect on the United States. I mean, like you mentioned, we're traveling right now. You can already see the price of gas going up. I personally think it's it's a little to pay for pushing back against this Russian activity. But it is something that the, obviously the White House is going to have to worry about. And so they're going to be hesitant to really sanction that because it does have an overall effect on, on world energy prices. But I think that's the next step if this doesn't back off. But I also think there'll be a lot of military support coming. You can expect Russia to start encircling all the major populated areas and essentially trying to starve the people out, which is going to just make this whole thing even more difficult to watch for the international community. I think we should just continuously put pressure on and just prove that the, the side of the free world is always going to be successful over the autocratic dictatorship of Russia or people like him. That's up to us to fight the fight and not be not be the ones who just sit on the sidelines. Nice. I think it's so good having you on. And I know you're on the road traveling right now, but I love to have you on again this month. I know you have your road companion next to you. So it's yep. so good having you on the podcast, even on a Saturday 
with your dog next to your side. Marjorie, I think we're pretty good. Is there anything that we've missed on this? I want to make sure we kind of full cover this full circle, given what's been going on the past few weeks if you've talked to Mick last. I think the only thing I would add, and I think you guys would add this too, is, you know, do support the people how you can do make sure if you make donations, it's to reputable charities, because that is also one of the issues that come up in any kind of global crisis is, you know, there are charities that come up, the money doesn't actually go to the people. So make sure that you're supporting the people. I love the Airbnb. I love the crypto donations. So, you know, our prayers with are with the people. Yeah. And I like to second that Marjorie just said, you can make a difference. So do it. Absolutely do it. Uh, it was great being with you ladies. This is actually my grand dog. It's my daughter's dog. <laughs> Name's Mary Margaret and goes by Maggie. She won't be with me every time, but this is a few times I'm down here and get to see her. Absolutely. Be pitbull tough. Go out there and make it. <laughs> it was so good having you on. And I love the fact that you are like your whole history in military intelligence and a big part of the military is their dogs out there and everything. So I do yeah, yeah. be able to have you on with your grand dog on the podcast today. Nick, keep us posted. Um, when does your article come out again? That the new so one? The second, yep. The second uh, op-ed it should be out probably by tomorrow, but I just got to know why we're talking that they're about done with that. And so it'll be out there talking about some of my ideas on how we can stop this catastrophe. Right. We look forward to seeing that. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much for coming on and giving us an update. And then we'll catch up with you again in a few weeks. And hopefully we'll have have a lot better news, humanitarian efforts around the world on our next podcast with you. But until then, Mick, thanks so much for hopping on with us. Marjorie, thank you. Everybody next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for Global News Watch. To find more podcasts and to learn more about our host and guests, please visit MediaMavensPodcast.com. Thank you for joining us for this special podcast report. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.